The AI boom is fueling another absolute bubble in the stock market within the Magnificent Seven. The NVIDIA stock, its market cap is approaching $2 trillion, which is greater than the entire Chinese stock market valuation. And why this stock, NVIDIA, is very similar to this week's review of Cisco Systems. NVIDIA trades currently at 40 times sales. Cisco Systems, back in 2000 in the dot-com bubble, traded an absolute premium about 26 times sales. The stock collapsed after the bubble cratered, and the market cap of Cisco Systems has never, ever recovered. Now, 20-plus years later, it's still less than it was back then. Why NVIDIA is at risk of an absolute collapse? Please be careful. Let's take a dive into history now and look at Cisco. And while the earnings and sales have continued to grow in Cisco's for 30 years, the market cap is still less than what it was in 2000. Let's deep dive into this and see what we can uncover by studying the history. You ready? Let's get to work. Hello, welcome to Rational Investing. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thank you for watching the channel, all the comments and subscribers. I greatly appreciate it. Please hit that like button and subscribe. I'm trying to grow the channel. This week, we're going to dive into Cisco Systems. I've got our one pager here. I've got the cash flow club behind me where analysts comb through almost 30 years of uh, data that you can see behind me for Cisco Systems. Now, the blue bar here is the market capitalization of Cisco for 30 years, and the the black line is the sales ratio, the market cap to, to sales or the price to sales ratio. And you can see the, the market cap spiked in 2000, just shy of $500 billion is uh, its total market cap. And that traded at a sale price to sales of 26 times. And at the intro, I said this was very similar to NVIDIA. Please go look at NVIDIA's um, price to sales is roughly four, uh, 40 times. It's done this exact same kind of parabolic move. Uh, the problem is, if you get ahead too far and you collapse, uh, you're, you're not going to be able to recover. It's going to take so, so long for you to cover. It's not worth buying the stock. Look what happened to Cisco. It absolutely cratered, right? The market cap kind of hum, hum, uh, hung around, slowly grew, but the, the ratio of price to sales fell down to the, the, the three times level from uh, from 26. That is absolutely going to crush the return on an NVIDIA stock as an example if that were to happen. But we're going to take a deep dive because now I think the Cisco is actually a very interesting value play within the technology, excuse me, within the internet infrastructure region. Now they do a tremendous amount of work within uh, security platforms, within the applications of, of, of the cloud security. Uh, they're just a huge provider of everything the internet. So I think in terms of an infrastructure play, it's very interesting to take a look at the stock. It's also interesting to note that earnings and revenue have continued to march forward on this company for the last 20 years. I'm going to show you that data. And if you're looking for a very interesting value play or something that might have a little bit more security to it, this stock is very interesting. Now, we're going to look at this stock like we do on this channel with all uh, stocks with our five key attributes. Now, these are basically five key things to look for to begin your due diligence on a on a uh, on a stock from a value investor perspective. Right, we're going to buy this company and we're going to hold it for twenty or thirty years. Uh, we want to make sure a couple things fundamentally are going on, and I use those five factors to kind of pull those out. Number one, top line revenue growth. You want a company that can grow its top line revenue. Number two, earnings growth. We use EBITDA earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. 
but you can use EBIT operating income. Basically, you want the enterprise level earnings of the company to be growing, not necessarily earnings per share. You want to focus on the enterprise as a whole. That should be growing. Number three, you want strong free cash flow. That's kind of the name of the game. Number four, you want low debt. Debt is critical. It needs to be less than three times debt to equity. We've explained this in the past. When earnings are hit, debt equity ratios spike, and that's when you get a risk of bankruptcy. You want to keep that as low as possible, ideally zero. And number five, you want a well-priced stock. You want to buy a stock that's reasonably priced, hold it for a long, long time. Paying too much for a stock and following that bandwagon is, the, is, is a great way to end up uh, upside down on a stock, uh, a la if you bought Cisco uh, in 2000s when everybody was buying it. Yes, ultimately the sales forecast, and I'll show you this, actually did kind of achieve the, what it was uh, going to do, but they paid so much for the stock ahead of the earnings that it wasn't worth holding for the last 20 years. So I alluded to it for a while now. Let's take a look at the EBITDA of Cisco Systems for the last 30 years. This is a huge zoom out, a lot of data. I hope you can see this. Take a screen grab and you can look at it at your leisure. But the blue bar is EBITDA, or operating level earnings for us. Um, earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. And you can see it follows this nice slope, kind of slowing off here a little bit of the last, uh, say, decade or so. But earlier in the 2000s, it had rampant growth. You can see from, say, you know, I don't even know what this number is. It's so small. This might be a billion dollars of EBITDA to two billion to four to six at the peak. That slope was basically continued that's what I think is most interesting here. The, the market was correct in their ability to grow, right? They continued to grow about that same rate, but they were paying so much for earnings here. This is the EBITDA multiple, the enterprise value divided by EBITDA. They're paying 100 times future earnings, paying 100 years forward of earnings you were never, ever going to pay off at that height. And so as a result, when, when, uh, when earnings underperformed during the uh, the market crash, the multiple collapsed. Long term, they were correct. The earnings continued to grow, but people were so euphoric in this era. They were paying so far in advance for the stock that they never made their money in the stock market. However, had you bought the company down here when it's trading at single digits, you still got the same growth rate that you were buying, uh, that you thought you were buying years ago, but you paid a much more reasonable price for the stock. And that is one of the most critical things you can possibly do is not overpay too much for a business. A reasonable price. You're not, we don't have to pick up cigar butts here. We're not trying to uh, be the Warren Buffett of the 1950s or so. This is pay a reasonable price for a great stock and hold it for a long, long time. That's the thing. All right, so without further ado, let's dive right into the Cisco's one-pager. What is a one-pager, you might ask? Well, it's a one-page stock summary that we produce at the Cashflow Investment Club. Uh, you can find that at cashflowinvestingpro.com right here at the top. It basically summarizes 10 years of revenue, earnings, debt, cash flow, market cap, shares outstanding to give you a long-term view of what the stock is doing. We then prepare a forecast, both on an EBITDA and a free cash flow basis, so you can see the underlying assumptions with how we arrive at a future stock price. Is it a prediction of the future? No. We have no idea what's going to happen, but it's a, it's a gauge to kind of say, well, if we if this happens, what would the return be? And we kind of judge, is the risk-reward ratio correct? So let's dive, without further ado, into the detail of Cisco Systems and figure out how much, how much jack these guys actually make. All right, so we're going to pick up here with revenue. In 2014, revenue was $47 billion for Cisco, and it grew to 49 
kind of hovered there for several years. In 2019, it went to 51, uh, then back down to 49, 51, and then last year, 57. That's $57 billion of top line revenue. That's a 2% annual increase. Basically, inflation during that period of time we had last, obviously, last year or two, it's picked up. And that's probably why you're seeing a spike here in revenue from 51 to 57. That's about a 10% move in revenue just that one year. It's, it looks like it's bumping along with inflation. EBITDA earnings growth here is for $12.6 billion of EBITDA earnings. It grows to 14, peaks kind of at 16 mid-year in 2019 with that peak revenue pulls back down kind of during the pandemic. And last year, it was back up $17.2 billion of top line revenue. Again, low single digit growth. That's a 3% annual growth rate over that period of time with some ebb and flow. And if you zo if you go back to when I showed you that 30 year time frame, you'll see that it was growing, growing. And the last couple of years, the growth rate has uh, slowed the last decade, the growth rate of this company has slowed. Let's take a look at the debt levels. Debt levels are $20 billion down to $9 billion. That's actually a decrease. You're going to see here with this, this stock, the story here is that they're taking their cash, they're buying down debt, they're buying back shares. Uh, and that's really helping the ownership uh, of the, sh the shareholders left kind of realize a greater ownership value within this, this, this really interesting business. Cash, excess cash was $45 billion of excess cash. Uh, in 2014, it's come down to 16 billion as they've paid down debt and bought back shares, but they still have plenty of excess cash. And what I like here is when I net the two, I net debt versus excess cash, it's actually zero. So net debt for the stock is zero. What does that mean? Well, for one, it means our leverage ratios don't count because they have zero debt. That means you as the stockholder have a bond-like collateral position, meaning you, you have a first claim on the assets of the company should it get in financial trouble or, or, or go under, but you have equity-like upside. That's a, that's a great thing to have. You're essentially the bank that owns the bond on the home, like a mortgage, and you own the home. So it's, uh, it, you get the upside uh, benefit of being the equity holder and you have the downside protection of being a bondholder. That's in the capital st structure, the capital stack. And we, we like to see that. In terms of market cap, market cap has been pretty steady. I showed you that kind of bumping along. Uh, $135 billion previous in the decade went up to about $250 billion. Uh, dollars in 2019, and it's come back slightly to 213 billion uh, in uh, in 2023. That's a 5% annual growth rate over time in the market cap. Roughly the same story with the enterprise value because net debt is zero, so en enterprise value and market cap are going to be very similar. Let's take a look at our ratio. So this is enterprise value EBITDA. This is that ratio I said was hitting 100x when it was euphoric back in 2000. It cratered from there and now you can pick this company up for an absolute song. Earlier in the decade, that is trading at eight times EBITDA. That means you could buy the company for eight years forward cash flow. Uh, it's been as high as 14 two years ago. It's now trading at about seven, excuse me, 12 times uh, a cash flow, which is a very reasonable price to pay for a company that's uh, that's growing at low single digits. All right, so we covered EBITDA market multiples in this stock and why it's a reasonable price to pay 
uh, you know, 12 times for a company that's growing single digits. It's definitely not worth paying 100x for, for the speculation of a company. But let's dive into the free cash for this business, where the rubber meets the road, the actual pure cash that they make selling their wares in the market. So we're going to come over here to adjusted free cash flow. It's adjusted because we expense stock-based compensation. I want to treat that like a cash cost, even though it's technically non-cash. We don't want it to be, uh, we don't want businesses to be able to hide it. So I expense it just to be, just to be safe. Uh, adjusted free cash flow, $11 billion in 2014. It's grown to 14 at the peak of 2019, pulls back to 13 to 11, and then last year was $17 billion. Now, what I like about that is that pattern follows the pattern of EBITDA really well, where it kind of sp spikes in 19, comes down, and is back up in 2023. That means, in my opinion, that the accounting team is expensing costs correctly, and they're going through the cash flow statement. That's a nice little smell check to make sure that cash flow and that uh, and that the expensing of that is 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 uh, is optimal is, is correct. Uh, the next. You know, that's the first third of the cash flow statement. This next middle section is cash flow from investing. That's here. This is the CapEx. It's how much money they have to put back in their business to keep the gravy train running. And that's very, very low. They really don't put much cash back in the business. They use most of this cash for acquisitions to go out and buy other components to continue growing. So you can see $17.5 billion of free cash flow last year. That's just piled up on the desk, right? Like that end of the year. 12 months of running the business, they have $17.5 billion sitting on the bank account. And they're like, what do you want to do with it? Well, let's peel off $849 million here, which is basically a rounding error on $17.5 billion. Let's peel that off and go paint some buildings, get some new infrastructure, keep the gravy train running. So now you're left with like $16.8 billion of free cash flow. What do you do with it? Well, you have zero debt. So that flows right through the equity. So this, this section here, this debt payment of minus 1.1 billion, that's semantics. They could easily pay off the debt. They don't have to, uh, they don't have to do that. So this 17.5 billion, 17.8 billion is basically the equity owner's cash. That's what you and I have by owning this stock. If you divide that by the number of shares, you're going to get something around $3.8 per share or maybe four bucks if, if, if you're getting rid of this debt payment here. So then if this stock is making four, $3.8 per share and it's trading at $51 a share, that's a 7% free cash flow yield. If you get a stock that's yielding seven, eight, nine, 10% free cash flow, that's a great underlying basis for growth. You've got this cash flow machine that's continuing to grow. You're continuing to buy back shares, um, make acquisitions, knock off single digit uh, growth, and you're waiting for it to catch fire. Um, go back and look at Microsoft. I did a video where Microsoft was trading at eight times EBITDA. Back when Steve Ballmer was running it, nobody wanted the stock. You couldn't give it away. Apple was the same way. Apple, you could have bought for nine times EBITDA. Nobody wanted it. Free cash flows were high. Debt was zero. Growth was low. And then suddenly leadership changed and boom, both stocks take off. Cisco can be the same thing. It's, it's, it's a great position to have and own for a long time. And you never know what's going to happen to a company. Uh, but a stock that's, 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 that's yielding you know, north of seven, eight percent of free cash flow is not a bad thing to have, especially if that stock is debt free. So that summarizes here the top section. Let's go forecast this business and see what we get. 
All right, so here behind me, I've got the forecast. I've got EBITDA forecast, basically 2% growth long-term, uh, really nothing much there. I've got a little bit of growth uh, in 2024 based on their guidance. And then I'm just saying, okay, we're just gonna flatline like they have been in the past, 2% annual growth. I'm gonna apply 11 times market multiple. So actually a little market multiple compression. It's at 12 currently to 11. And I get an enterprise value of $245 billion, uh, less debt plus cash, basically the same market cap because there's net debt is zero. Divide by the shares, I get $61 per share out long-term. I do the same thing for free cash flow and I get $58. I average the two for say 60 bucks. $60 is long-term target for this stock. Well, it's currently trading at 52 or about 50 bucks as of this recording. So I'm gonna make $10 on a gain, which isn't a whopping gain, but I get a strong free cash flow for a long, long period of time, which is here. And that gives me a long-term IRR of about 10%, which is a market return. And in a market like this, I have to say, this is pretty compelling because I think the stock market overall is very richly priced right now. So if you're looking for stock that's got some downside protection, is a little fundamental to the economy, to uh, infrastructure, take a look at Cisco Systems. Very interesting stock, been bumping along for a long time, might have a run sometime in the future, who knows? But at least no debt, strong free cash flow, growing revenue, the whole thing. And maybe over time you get lucky, but at least you're clipping coupons. Let's review the five key factors for Cisco. Number one, top line revenue growth. Yes, it's there. It's growing at 2%. Number two, earnings growth. EBITDA is growing at 3%, bumping along. Number three, strong free cash flow. Yes, they make $17.5 billion of cash last year, only had to put back $800 million. That's a tremendous amount of free cash. Number four, low debt, debt is zero. Number five, well-priced. Yes, I think it's well-priced because it's giving a market return on a very conservative stock. I'm going to give this a good. I think it's a very interesting stock. If it gets cheaper, I like it even more. But right now, given everything else is very expensive, and when I price things like Apple, NVIDIA, Microsoft, these guys, um, I don't get above market returns for them. It's it's hard to find a stock that's really that you really think is going to... Uh, uh, do well in this in this environment. So go with something that's a low growth, low multiple, and is debt free. Kind of an interesting stock. Let me know what you think about this one. If you want to see something else, I'm happy to um, happy to to do it. Throw me a comment in the description below. Don't forget to hit the like and subscribe button. That helps me out as well. If you like what you saw here, check out my website. Uh, I've got uh, two courses. One course, I teach you how to analyze stocks just like this, how to build a portfolio of focused stocks, maybe 20 stocks that you can read the 10Ks every single year, understand the business, and, and own those stocks for you know, 10, 20 years. I teach you how to do that, how to build financial models, and how to pick out revenue, debt, EBITDA, all that stuff. If you're interested in becoming a financial analyst, I also have a course that'll teach you how to get a job in investment banking, how to run a three-statement financial model, how to use Excel without a mouse, um, how to pull through financials, how to build forecasts, how to basically position yourself for a job in private equity, investment banking, or corporate finance. Uh, check out that course as well. My name is Cameron Stewart. This is uh, Rational Investing. Thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it. Let me know what else you'd like to see, and uh, we'll see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.